0: It's in everyone. Oh, that. I'm sorry. I'm starting the wrong part of the song. Sorry, that was just a little practice. Where's the rest of the words? Oh, there we go. Okay, let me
1: try that again. It's in everyone.
0: and join us in singing I Release. There was a time
1: in my life I thought I'd have to do it all for myself Didn't know the grace of God was sufficient I didn't know the love of God was at hand But now I can say If you are discouraged to
2: Waves are coming in. There is so much magnificence near the ocean. Waves are coming in. Waves are coming in. There is so much magnificence near the ocean. Waves are coming in, waves are coming in.
3: much magnificence and I see it looking back at me right here and right now all of you are absolutely magnificent so we have some magnificent things happening here at the center and I'd like to go over a few of them with you and I do invite you to take your program home and the calendar home so that you can have all the details at hand easily Cause I'm through them quite quickly we have so many wonderful things happening Thursday morning at 7.30 a.m., that's Thursday morning, we're having our business breakfast. It's a $20 buffet breakfast. I do invite you to sign up and register today at our events table so we know how many people will want to have breakfast for. Our guest speaker today is our own Reverend Connie Neeson, sorry, our guest speaker Thursday is our Reverend Connie Neeson, speaking on Alive, Awake, Alert, and Enthusiastic. And our business breakfasts are a wonderful way to put spiritual tools into our lives, in our businesses, and have them be more and more successful. So how many of you have bought your tickets yet for this year's spectacular Random Acts of Talent? It's going to be Friday night. Okay, we need to do a little better than that. Oh my goodness. Last year, this was a wonderful, wonderful event, and many people on the Sunday after said, oh, I wish I'd known how good it was going to be. I would have come. So I'm telling you now, it's going to be really, really great. Our teens are magnificently talented, and uh, we are having our dress rehearsal tonight, so they're all very excited to be giving you their wonderful random acts of talent. In addition, we are also honored to have the Woodies perform on stage with us. They are a group from Nashville, and we're very excited to have them to helping us perform and give you a wonderful evening of entertainment. So that's Friday night, 7 p.m., Random Acts of Talent. There'll be also a few other interesting, fun goodies that evening as we are fundraising for our summer conference, which is our teen camp, which we're going to in the beginning of August. Tickets are only $15, so it's a great, great, great evening of entertainment for that good price. And tickets are available today at the events table. So I expect to see... Hordes of people lined up back there. That is my um, teen group plug. So on Thursday, sorry, backing up, Toastmasters, July 24th, Friday, 7 to 9 p.m., we're going to be having an informational meeting to discover the opportunity, to see if the opportunity of Toastmasters is for you. This is a demonstration meeting, and it's an introduction to prospective members, and it will show how a Toastmasters meeting is presented and conducted. If we want to have a Toastmasters club here at the center, we do need to have 20 members, and there is no fee for this intro evening, so we invite you to come if that calls to you. Dr. Rick Moss is coming back to our center by popular demand with his precognitive cognitive re-education training. Many people really enjoyed his workshop, and he's going to be doing a full-day workshop, and it starts the evening before 7 p.m. on the 14th and then all day on the 15th. There's a sliding fee-scale events. Tickets can be bought at the events table. You've heard about this many times. Our Circle of Love gathering is happening in beautiful Kelowna in August. We're going to have brilliant speakers, experiential workshops, fabulous music. There is wonderful information in your program. And we are looking at potentially taking a bus. If that is something of interest to to you, keep posted. And there's information and a sign-up at the back. As well, our International Centers for Spiritual Living Summer Conference, New Thought, New World, is happening in the beautiful, sunny San Diego at the end of July, with the well-known keynote speakers of Carolyn Miss and Byron Katie. And there has been some reduced pricing that has been extended. You might want to take, your, take a look at the flyer for that. So Robin, who are we featuring today? Today
0: I'm thrilled to announce our... Feature soloist is my dear friend Who I love to sing with and love to hear sing Anna Beaumont, welcome Thank you Robin
4: This is a beautiful song called the Perfect Replications Which was uh, by a lady by the name of Denise Hagen Who I saw about three weeks ago Who just blew my mind Just an absolutely stunning singer And this is for you all You're the ones that could see what I see. You'd lose your breath for sure. You are the perfect
1: replication. You're the ones that I adore.
3: Practitioners in service this week are Rev. Kathleen Miller, Kelly Kay, Jennifer Ann Dell, Rev. Connie Neeson, and Arnie Paulson. And these practitioners are available after service for affirmative prayer in our one-minute ministry room, as well provided meditation prior to service today. As well, if you would like any prayer support with anything going on in your life, something you would like to create more of that you're really enjoying, or if you would like some, some support in any other area, please note it on that opportunity for you card that is in your prayer program and drop it into the basket and this team of practitioners will do spiritual mind treatment affirmative prayer for you this week and I'll invite Reverend Kathleen Miller forward who will give us our inspirational reading for this morning. Thank
0: you. This morning's reading is from a book by Jill Bolte Taylor. It's called My Stroke of Insight. A Brain Scientist's Personal Journey. I view the garden in my mind as a sacred patch of cosmic real estate that the universe has entrusted me to tend over the years of my lifetime. As an independent agent, I and I alone, in conjunction with the molecular genius of my DNA and the environmental factors I'm exposed to, will decorate this space within my cranium. In the early years, I may have minimal input into what circuits grow inside my brain because I am the product of the dirt and seeds I have inherited. But to our good fortune, the genius of our DNA is not a dictator. And thanks to our neurons' plasticity, the power of thought and the wonders of modern medicine, very few outcomes are absolute. Regardless of the garden I have inherited, once I consciously take over the responsibility of tending my mind, I choose to nurture those circuits that I want to grow and consciously prune back those circuits I prefer to live without. Although it is easier for me to nip a weed when it is just a sprouting bud... With determination and perseverance, even the gnarliest of vines, when deprived of fuel, will eventually lose its strength and fall to the side. The mental health of our society is established by the mental health of the brains making up our society, and I must admit that Western civilization is a pretty challenging environment for my loving and peaceful right hemisphere character to live in. Obviously, I'm not alone in feeling this way, as I look at the millions of beautiful people in our society who have chosen to escape our common reality by self-medicating themselves with illicit drugs and alcohol. I think Gandhi was right when he said, we must be the change we want to see in the world. I find that my right hemisphere consciousness is eager for us to take that next giant leap for mankind and step to the right so we can evolve this planet into the peaceful and loving place we yearn for it to be. Your body is your life force power of some 50 trillion molecular geniuses. You and you alone choose moment by moment who and how you want to be in the world. I encourage you to pay attention to what is going on in your brain. Own your power and show up for your life. Beam bright. I invite you to please join me in a warm welcome to our spiritual presenter, and spiritual director of our community, the Center for Spiritual Living, as he speaks today on left brain, right brain, which side am I on? Reverend Patrick Cameron.
5: Good morning. Welcome. I'm going to invite you to Join me in a prayer and a song. If you'd like to stand up while we say the prayer and sing the song, you're welcome. If not, please stay seated. It's optional. Some sing better when they're sitting down. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. is in this very room in this very room in this very room and it's true in this very room this room you and I contain the totality of the universe individualized As we think, as we plant seeds of possibility, as we plant the same crop over and over again, this infinite intelligence does one thing, and that is says yes to us. The universe holds its breath awaiting our next thought to imprint itself and plant a new seed, either the same crop or the new seed of possibility. So may we be guided and directed in the clarity and the wisdom and the inspiration to plant wonderful seeds this day, each day as a day to plant. May we look at our lives and realize that what we are reaping right now is the result of seeds planted days, weeks, months, years ago. But to know that we are not stuck anywhere in a stagnant state, but that life is for us in every way possible. To be reminded of that wonderfully and powerfully, I give thanks. I give thanks to stand with you and to be with you in the consciousness and the remembrance of who I am and whose I am that I am a work in progress and all that has brought me to this point I could have come no other way I give thanks for that, all of it I put it down and I stand present with you in this moment and say bring it on I am ready, willing and able for this I give thanks and I release these words in this awareness, in this expectancy and in this joy and reveling of life for this I give thanks and I invite you to say with me and so it is let's be seated so we're using a new book this month. Thank you, Brown. We're, at, we're uh, introducing a new book this—excuse uh, me—new book this month by Daniel Pink called *A Whole New Mind*. And every time I mention it, to someone who's read it, oh, it's fantastic! I bought copies of it for all my kids. It's a wonderful book. As Woody Allen said about the mind, it is my secret second favorite organ. It's a very important tool. And so um, what it says in, in Daniel Pink's book on page 35, if you're wondering what I'm reading from, he said that he talks about prosperity. This book's a wonderful book. He talks about how we have never been as prosperous on this planet as we are right now. Never had the, the, the conveniences and the things available to us that we are. In fact, he said it peaked in 1973. And we watch what's happened right now. And, you know, it's interesting. Isn't life interesting? It's like nothing I've ever seen before, isn't it? But life, I mean, it's just to, to, to stand in the observation of life. And this is what we are. We're a teaching that looks at how things work. I mean, we're, we're a very practical teaching. We're not a religion. We're not a religion. We are a spiritual teaching that supports every person in understanding and de- discovering themselves. And so Daniel Pink writes this, just simply about prosperity. He says, the paradox of prosperity is that while living standards have risen steadily decade after decade, personal, family, and life satisfaction haven't budged. So we've got more and more and more, and, and sat- our satisfaction level hasn't budged. Now, I'm not saying that's true for you, because I think that, that one of the things that, that this teaching has, has guided me in is that my savoring of life is far more rich and luscious and juicy than it ever has been. But it has nothing to do with things shifting out there. It's what's shifted within me. And so when I look at the world... There are many times I forget who I am, just like you, and we, we forget who we are, and then we get back into the story. He continues, that's why more people liberated by prosperity but not fulfilled by it are resolving the paradox by searching for meaning. At Columbia University, Andrew Del, Del Blanco puts it, the most striking feature of contemporary culture is the unslaked craving for transcendence. We're all looking for a deeper level of life to live at, all of us, I don't care who you are. Some of us just don't have the, the the vocabulary, the opportunity. I mean, we have a teaching that supports that directly. Back in 1963 in Dublin, Ireland, in, a, in O'Shea's bar, there's two fellas sitting at the bar, and they came in at, as soon as it opened in the morning, and they've been sitting there all day drinking. And the only two guys that have come in all day. And so finally, the after hours and hours of just drinking, the one fella kind of glances out of the peripheral vision and says to the other guy, he says, uh, do you live around here? And the fella says, Yeah, yeah. All right. right around the corner. yeah, what street do you live on? He says, I live on Boyle Street. I says, yeah, what about that? He says, I live on Boyle Street. He says, yeah, yeah, I lived there my whole life. He says, oh, that's amazing. He says, do you have any, any brothers or sisters? He says, yep. Five sisters and four brothers. He says, I got five sisters and four brothers. It's amazing. Where would you go to grammar school? I went to St. Mary's. I went to St. Mary's. Just then the phone rings, and the bartender picks the phone up, and it's the proprietor, and he says, how are things going? He says, well, it's a bit slow, it's a bit slow. Anybody come in today? He ah, oh, just, uh, he said, uh, just the McCarthy twins, and they've forgotten who they are, they're so drunk. <laughs> but see, we get drunk, we get drunk, and we go unconscious. We forget. It's a, it's a great story, it's a funny story, but it's, it's, it's true about all of us. We get drunk in, in the fear, in the anticipation of life. And see, fear comes up for us on the left side, the left and right side of the brain. Which side am I on? Uh, Joe Bolte-Taylor talks about it in her book, A Stroke of Insight, which our reading was from today, and she talks about this experience she had where once the left side shut down completely, she was just, she couldn't function because we have to have the left side. The left side has done really, really well for us. It's, it's very linear. If you've seen the movie Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman, you know, he won't get on an airplane because he's got all the statistics. Can't get in on an airplane, but if we're getting on an airplane, it has to be Qantas because they, the, they, they, they go down less frequently than the rest of them. It's got all this information stored up there. It can count the cards, count the toothpicks when they fall out of the box, all those things. It's very linear. The left brain, boom, 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 cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. It's the, it's the computer. And the left brain's great. The left brain has brought us to the point we are now. What, what Daniel Pinky's talking about is to, to move to the transcendence, we must move into the right brain more fully and completely. And, and live and, and know when we're there. Which side am I on? Well, when I'm in the fear, when I'm in the anxiety, I'm on the left side. I'm making up another story about what's happened. And we're great at that. We're masters at making meaning up in our lives. Uh, yesterday, I was on the elliptical at home, and I was running away and running away, and I had the iPod in. And so, and when I do that many times, there's memories that come up for me, because part of my agreement with my, myself is, look, if there's anything for me to, to clean out or to forgive or to put down, make it clear to me. And almost every day, that's part of my affirmation. And so I was getting more tired and more tired. And if you've noticed that sometimes when you're tired, that the that those old memories come up more frequently. You're too ungr- uh, too lonely, too angry, too tired, too hungry. All the twos, those four twos, they say never get there. Anyway, so I'm I'm running away, and I'm running away, and I got the iPod on, and so I'm. And so Max, after I got done, my son Max comes up and says, "Hey," he says, "Who were you cussing at there?" And I said, "Cussing? I wasn't cussing." He says, "Yeah, you were. You were cussing at someone." And I said, "Hmm, I didn't think I was saying that out loud." But I'll tell you what I was doing, and I didn't tell him yesterday, he was asking me what was going on, and I, and, uh, I knew exactly what I was doing, but I have, I have some memories. Uh, you know, the, the, the great teacher from Nazareth, Jesus said, how many times do you forgive? Seven times 70, which means a lot. It means a lot. And so part of it for me is that uh, I had some experiences as a young boy that were, were quite uncomfortable. And uh, there was one, one particular episode in my life where a person in great authority was very, very, I would consider cruel. And so I have is a practice that I've done for years and years and years, and what happens is that when I go back to that memory, and the the kid in me gets scared or angry, and typically it's anger. So I I find myself getting angry. I know my kid, that inner child, is just getting frustrated, because that's what gets angry. It's the 9 or 11-year-old within us all. And so what I was doing was the adult, I was having the adult, me, step up, put his arm around the kid, and basically telling the perceived abuser where they could go. And that they weren't gonna hurt the kid anymore. And I've done this practice for years and years. It's really helped shift me out of that because I don't wanna stay in the fear. I watch one of the, but we can stay locked in the fear, and I choose not to live there. So I know this is a practice I pull up and say, you know what? The adult me is showing up, the healthy me is showing up, the one that understands. See, we think, many of us think, maybe not you, but many people out there think wholeness is a destination. Wholeness isn't a destination, wholeness is what we are. We don't need to do anything for our wholeness, for our completeness, for our balance. We don't have to do anything. There's not, it's not adding more to us. It's simply putting it down. And so for me, that's part of my practice, and it's ongoing, and it may be a practice I have to do the rest of my life. Next time I'm doing it, I'll probably pull the iPod things out of my ears so I can hear myself, so I'm not, uh, somebody's not giving me a report afterwards. But, uh, but that's exactly what was happening for me. And sometimes my language can get quite colorful because sometimes it's like, you know what, this, we don't stand for this anymore. We don't do this here anymore. We may have done this at one time, but no more. And part of the great thing about the blessing of that experience is that when, you, when you're in a position of power, you realize how important it is not to abuse your power. And I think many times we've had that experience of where, where, where someone in authority has, has done some things that, that have been out of alignment with the integrity of their soul and our soul. And so what do you do with that? You know what? You don't repeat that. You break the mold. You break the pattern. So that was what was happening. So left brain, right brain. The left brain loves to count. The left brain is all the text. There's a story in the book where this woman and husband are making dinner, and the husband forgot to bring home the main ingredient of the meal. So finally, the wife looks at him and says, Okay, I am going to the store. And so, with that, Daniel Pink talks about it, in, in that if you're solely in your left brain, all the left brain hears is, Oh, your wife, you're, she's going to the store. No problem. What the right brain picks up is she's ticked off because she has to go to the store because I forgot the ingredients. And that's how the, the two sides work. But if you're always in the left brain, you don't perceive that. You don't have the nuances of facial expression and uh, the, the nuances of, of metaphor. My, my mom used to always say, when I was going to, uh, went to Catholic grade school for eight years, I did get through in eight years, by the way. A lot of people questioned me on that, but it was only eight years. And Mrs. Jaworski was there. And, and she, had a, she was a wonderful lady. My mother always used to say, Mrs. Jaworski has a heart of gold. She has a heart of gold. Now, I knew what she meant. I knew that she, this woman was very generous and very kind and very sweet. I mean, I got that immediately. But if we're in the left brain, we think that this person has a heart made out of gold. It requires the right to interpret the metaphor, to, to interpret the example. So it's a left and right brain. When I was in Fillmore, we have a labyrinth here. We have an 11th circuit chart labyrinth. It's based on, and it's identical to the labyrinth that you would walk if you went to the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, Charles, France. And I found the labyrinth. The labyrinth has nothing to do with the science of mind teaching. If you look in our textbook, you look at all of our curriculum, no one talks about the labyrinth at all. The labyrinth was part of my spiritual journey. I'll tell you a little bit about it and why it ties into what we're talking about today. So the labyrinth, everything in it is, is uh, representative. They feel it's a blueprint. It's a blueprint for Holy Spirit or the Beloved or whatever term you want to use. And they don't, they don't understand where it all comes from. It's based on sacred math, sacred geometry. It's based on all of the inherent patterns in nature. And it's been a study. It's been a contemplation. And I really believe that the pattern was divinely guided. And they don't know where it it comes from. The information, they don't know. It's been sort of lost. And so there have been spirals that have been walked throughout traditions. So everything in there has meaning. But when I went to my first center, my first spiritual community... I started out, I had about three members. I told you the story many times. But what I did is I threw myself into it. I realized, you know, there's something for me to do here. And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do the things that are before me that I think I can, I can manage. So I started fixing the place up. I've done a bit of carpentry work in my life, been a builder most of my life. Started fixing it up, and then I was going to build a meditation garden. And so I started a meditation garden. And we had a patch of land alongside the, the, the church there. And uh, I said, okay, you know, let's remodel this thing. Let's revitalize it. And then there were some beautiful orange trees there and some benches. And I, I got going on it, but I just lost my momentum. I just couldn't get back into it. And I realized, you know what, I'm missing something here. And then one day, as I had asked for guidance, I asked for what, what the next step is. I didn't know, but I wasn't moving forward till I was clear about it. Uh, I saw an article on a labyrinth that was at one of our sister churches, one of our sister centers in, in Burbank, California. And I went over and walked it. And so I went in, it was uh, it was the afternoon after Mother's Day, and I took, I took my family with me, and we all walked the labyrinth. And as I'm walking this labyrinth, I'd stop at certain places. At the turns, I'd stop, and I'd just close my eyes, and I kept seeing, I kept seeing these goddess figures in flowing gowns and, and these various feminine features dancing and all sorts of things going on. And I got done walking the labyrinth, and I liked it very much. I thought, this is pretty cool. You know, maybe we could incorporate this into our meditation garden. And as I came off the labyrinth, and the facilitator was still there, and she said, you know, it's interesting you show up when you did. We just completed a, a woman's retreat this weekend. And it was a goddess retreat. And so there have been, been 45 women here all weekend walking the labyrinth, dancing the labyrinth. And I thought, wow, this, maybe that's a sign. So uh, I didn't, that didn't, I was impressed by that. I went back to my board of, of trustees at the center in Fillmore, and said, hey guys, I figured out what we need to do with the meditation garden. And they said, what? And I said, well, we need to put a labyrinth in. And they didn't have a clue what I was talking about. So then I I began the process of selling them on the idea of labyrinth. I traveled to San Francisco, and I studied with Lauren Artris, who's a beautiful, amazing woman who's an Episcopalian minister at uh, Grace Cathedral in San Francisco. And her mission, her ministry, is to reintroduce the labyrinth into the West, which she's done quite beautifully. She's actually been to Edmonton a few times in the last uh, uh, several years. Anyway, with labyrinth, so the, the, the journey of the labyrinth, so we, it took two and a half years to build our labyrinth there. We did it out of slate. I bought a bunch of burgundy and green slate, and the pathway was green, and it out, was outlined by this darker color. Kind of what we have here. We have the lighter and darker sort of uh, contrast, so you can see it. At one point in time, I had all the burgundy sitting there because we hadn't cut it up yet. We were doing, first doing the green, and somebody backed their truck up and just stole all the burgundy slate. So I had to rebuy the Burgundy Slate. And every time I drive through Fillmore, I try to go down another street to see if I see someone with a Burgundy patio just to know who has it. Uh, But anyway, we got it built. And the interesting thing about the labyrinth that they know and they've been able to study is that when you walk the labyrinth, it balances the left and right side. You know, there's people here, I know Jennifer, and there's several other people here that do brain gym. They work with children, and the brain gym is really about different exercises to help balance left and right side of the brain or bring them into, into a clearer communication. Am I correct with that? Yep. She's nodding her head. I got that right. That's good. So anyway, what but, but we know is that when we do that, that, that the creativity and the, the awareness and what's coming up for us has a, a greater possibility of becoming obvious to us when we're in that state of, of balance. Now, it can also be done through sitting meditation. The labyrinth a walking meditation. That's why spiritual practice is so important. And I think it was one of the things that really touched me, why I felt so drawn to it. So if you go to another center, you probably won't find a labyrinth on the floor. You probably won't see them clearing the chairs. Actually, we're at, identical to what happens in Chartres, France. They have to clear their chairs to walk their labyrinth, too. They meet right on top of their labyrinth. And they only clear their chairs about six weeks out of the year. The rest of the time, they don't bother with it. Another thing that I want to, while I'm talking about labyrinth, in fact, at this first service, the idea of sharing labyrinth with you around left and right brain this morning came to me. This woman said to me, you know, it's so interesting. I haven't been here in two years, but I wanted to come and talk to you about helping us put a labyrinth together for a Hollywood school. And she said, and here you are talking about labyrinth. I said, isn't this interesting? So, you know, uh, go figure. But with labyrinth, it's not about quantity, you know, when, we're, when we, we go into some form of exercises, you know, repetition, whatever it may be, repetition helps us get fitter or stronger or more proficient at, the, uh, at whatever it is. Labyrinth is not about I walk the labyrinth. You know, Lauren Archers would say, she, inevitably she would do a retreat, and then she'd say, how are you doing with the labyrinth? And somebody in the back would go, I walked it 24 times this weekend. And she, she would laugh and say, it's not about that. It's not about the more I walk it, the more uh, evolve, the more transcendent I will become. I walked the labyrinth on Canada Day, Laura and I came over. I probably haven't walked the labyrinth in six months. Because I don't walk it unless I know it's really, really important for me to walk it. It's a wonderful spiritual practice. And I, and, I, and I know people are drawn to that. But what I'm trying to say to you is, if you walk it weekly, fantastic, or monthly, I mean, I, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with that. But it's not, about, it's not about quantity. It's not about some type of exercise. The more you do... It's there, the, the, you'll reap greater benefits it's really about the quality of who you are and being permeable and available and being present, being in the right brain when you're, you're walking that labyrinth for me, you know, I read and read and read all week and, then I, and that's in the left side so I'm writing down notes and I'm jotting down stories and then I've got to go to the right side to incorporate it all how do you weave all this stuff together? why, why tell this story? why tell the story of the labyrinth? Why tell the story about the two Irish drunks that are forget about themselves? Why tell those things? And So the information is there, and then I have to go to the right side to weave it all together to make sense because really we're here. We are really here to, to move into deeper transcendence. We're really here to live at a deeper level of spiritual awareness and, and spiritual experience. Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, had this to say. I found this in my readings over the weekend. I thought it was quite, quite wonderful. This is from the Holmes Papers. It was one of the books. He wrote about three or four books just before he made his transition, late, 60, uh, late 1950s. He said this, I want to see a time and I expect to see it when everyone who comes into one of our meetings, which would be this, who needs healing will go out well. You walk in here, you go out well. It ought to be that way. It is wrong if it isn't that way. Use the W word, it's wrong if it isn't that way. We haven't put the thing together right if we don't do it that way. We are not to be blamed, and it isn't our fault. We just haven't done it. In other words, it's not, a, it's not about blaming or shaming. It's really about understanding that there's a possibility here, there's a bigger idea. And I, and I don't think it has anything to do with what I say, I don't think it has any. It's the consciousness collectively. When you walk in, I've watched people come in here over and over and over again, and they'll, the first half a dozen times they're here, they'll just cry their eyes out Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And they'll come up to me eventually and say, oh, I just got to stop this. They'll say, well, let it out. Let it out because all of a sudden when our soul starts to resonate with the truth of our being, and it's not me, it's not the personalities here, it's the consciousness here. It's the consciousness of healing. And I think that healing, we, we, we associate healing with cure. Healing is not cure. I believe the healing begins when we make a decision to do it differently. I believe that when we say, I can't do this anymore like this, it's done differently when i do my exercise and i stand the and the that the abuser stands before me and i'm the adult and i say to him look we're not doing this here anymore your job is done it's time for you to 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 find the exit you're out of here cuz i'm standing here and i'm and i'll rep, i'll wrap my arm around the metaphor of this inner child and say we got it handled it's done it's complete and, and for me, that works, but that's that, that's that standing in the groundedness and knowing and standing in that faith and standing in understanding that the decision is in each moment. That's when the healing begins. That's the healing. When we say, you know what? I've done it this way my whole life and I'm not doing it this way anymore. That's the healing. Now, what happens for us, we've changed our mind in that moment. What happens many, for many of us is we go back through, we cycle through, we get too tired, too lonely, too angry, too hungry, and we forget. And we decide, oh, I can't do this. Can't do this never going to change. So we change our mind, we just don't keep it changed. So Dr. Holmes says when you come into these centers, when you walk in the door, if you don't walk out shifted and changed in some meaningful way, what's the point? This should be happening. If that's not happening, then we're missing the point. And that's what we continue to work for as a spiritual community, as the practitioners. I have a whole core of practitioners here that allow me to, to fall into their consciousness. I, I can't I can't do this alone. Nobody can do this alone. None of us can do it. You can't do it alone. You need community. We need one another. Holmes said this, we are not to be blamed. It isn't our fault. We just haven't done it and we should not criticize ourselves for not doing it. All the wealth of the world cannot compensate for this. There is nothing the world can give us in exchange for the coin of the eternal kingdom of God. And he says this, he said, there isn't anybody going to tell me that I'm an outcast from the heaven of God. Because that's a popular idea, that you've got to earn your way. See, we start from wholeness, and then we forget. We forget it. We're just like the drunks. We get drunk in our story, in our activity, in our lives, and we forget. We forget who we are. I've done it. And I continue to do it at times. But what I have is spiritual practice, and I have enough people around me that remind me of who and what I am. Holmes said this, For when I look up and I see the glory of heaven and the beauty and the warmth and the color of the evening sunset, I look across the horizon and see the golden glow of the approaching day and the sun spilling its warmth through the chariots of fire across the hilltops to awaken the valley, nurture it and bring joy to it. I don't think I am so unworthy. Because he understands it. If that's possible, anything is possible for us. The blessings pour themselves forth. I went down last night... Laura's been doing, she's doing a little cold thing right now, she's been, so I went out, I said to her, I'm going to go down for a walk in the river valley, and I went down there last night, and it was amazing, everywhere I looked, I thought, you know, you could not paint a picture more beautiful than this, the river was flowing, and the trees, and the sunlight, it was, it was about 7.30, or, yeah, 7 to 8.30, I was down there walking, I took the walk from Riverside all the way down to uh, the bridge, and it came back up, and it was beautiful. Beautiful. And, and, you know, and that's alive, and that's real. And it's, it's, I just felt so blessed and so full walking through that. I just love that, the trees, and then, it's just such a beautiful thing. And it connects you with something that's real. It's a powerful experience. In his book, The Mandala of Being, Richard Moss, not Rick Moss, but Richard Moss, he's an MD, lives in Ojai, California, actually uh, uh, Audrey May, Colwell gave you this book. Wonderful book. It's a book that follows up the trance of scarcity beautifully. It's much thicker and more more involved with this information, but it's saying the same thing about our stories. And he says this on the paradox of faith. And I think it's right on. The paradox of faith is that when we sense it in another, it gives us hope, and we too feel we can face our fears. When we're around people of great faith, we borrow their consciousness. It's an energetic. We go, wow, I can get through this. I was talking to Robin and, and Anna this morning and they said they had a challenging week. And what I know the gift for me is to be able to look at them. I don't need the story, but I know they have everything they need to move forward to get through this. We need people of great faith in our lives. This too shall, this too shall pass. This too shall work out. It's all right and perfect. If we believe the universe is for us then whatever shows up is for us. And sometimes it's just damn inconvenient. Have you noticed that? Sometimes it's just very, very uncomfortable what's going on for us. And I don't think we're here... I don't think we're here to just coast. I think we're here to do this work and to move into greater and greater experience of transcendence. So when it talks about when you come to this meeting, when you walk in the door, that consciousness should be so prevalent here, that clarity about seeing the divine walking in the door, that there's no doubt. Yet faith itself is the capacity to meet fear without hope. To meet fear without hope. It's that capacity. Dr. Holmes said hope is but a palliative. It's a very weak stance to be, and I'm hoping hoping it works out. If we require hope, how can we say that we have faith? If you stand in your faith, you know. See, we don't get what we want. We get what we expect. I expect things to work out in my life. And however they show up, I have everything I need to deal with it and to move through it and to be permeable to it and to be available to it. And I wasn't raised that way. I didn't have parents standing me up and say, man, you are just wonderful. You are the finest thing that's ever walked down the, yeah, down the front walk. No, because it, it, was, it was really about survival and fear. And it was not a bad thing. It's just what it was. Faith is not a state of, of fearlessness, but rather an ability to hold fear with the power of our awareness and not lose touch with that in us, which is more than whatever we are afraid of. So we can be in faith and still have fear. But we don't want to lose touch. When we lose touch of who and what we are, which is the right side, present moment, grounded in that, then we start, we start to bleed into the fear. And when we have the information, what tools, what techniques, I just explained to you a technique I use when I start to go there. I call on my adult. I say, man, I need a healthy guy. I need the strong guy. I need the healthy, clear, aware, awake, enlightened adult to show up. And I call him into my experience, in my mind. And then I see him put his arm around that kid and say, we got it covered, thanks very much. It's all good. And sometimes the problem is we want it fixed right now, and sometimes we have to let this time continue and play itself out. I've had a lot of that in the last last few weeks. I've made decisions, and then I realized that it wasn't the best decision I can make. And then I have to go back, and I have to renegotiate the agreements and the commitments I've made. This happened three or four times in the last week. I thought, isn't this interesting? But what I realize is as more information comes forward, you know, you can change your mind. You know, it's not just a woman's prerogative. If another, if another better idea shows up, renegotiate. Renegotiate. The bigger idea, a better idea shows up. Rick, uh, Richard Moss says this, Many people discover the limits of their faith when they are afraid of not having enough money. Anybody here ever felt like they weren't going to have enough money? Yeah, I bet you have. I think all of us have at some point in time. Not have enough money. Too many of us let money fears. Basic survival consciousness keep us in jobs we don't enjoy or in relationships that are no longer healthy for us. And when we do so, our faith is only as alive as the security we derive from having enough money. I got great faith as long as I have enough money. But as soon as I don't have enough money, I go back into the fear. You had that experience? But if we can look at this fear and see that it is simply a sensation that can be accommodated and not reacted to, increase our faith. So what he's talking about is the very same thing Eckhart Tolle was talking about. When we bring awareness to the situation and we can stand in it and wow, look, here I am. Here I am starting to get fearful about not enough money. When we label it and identify it and stand in that grounding and say, but you know what? I'm not going to let this take me out of that grounding in who and what I am, which is that healthy sense of wholeness, that groundedness, that connectedness, that oneness. That's why I call on my adult. Because the adults there doesn't, doesn't respond to that. What's the problem here? What do you mean don't have enough money? That's what it may look like right now. But the, the world, we're not stuck anywhere. We're not stuck anywhere. Sometimes we've got to be cleaned out for the new delight, as Rumi said. Even if it sweeps our house clear clean of all its furniture, it's just clearing you out for some new delight. To stand in that as life changes and moves and shifts. We demystify the power we have given to money, and we can make wiser choices. Then money ceases to be the defining force in our life. I think for many people, it is the defining force in our lives, this idea of money. And so our our healing is really about when we make the decision, a new decision. As soon as we make that decision, we make the decision, we change our mind, and we keep it changed. And that requires diligence and persistence. Dr. Holmes talks about it in this book, wonderful book. He said our decisions and choices require persistence. Because what happens when we start to make the new decision, we start to move into this new, this new the desire, this new wanting. Because first we start wanting and then we move into expectancy. And we get what we, we, what we expect. See, we have to get from wanting because wanting keeps it away from us. But eventually the wanting is transcended into expectancy. And then we get what we expect. And that's the, that's the purpose of spiritual practice. That's why we walk the labyrinth. That's why we meditate. That's why we do affirmative prayer. We're reparenting and retraining ourselves. And, you know, we, we do this or we don't do this. It's our choice each and every day. But what I know, I've tried it the other way. I've tried living randomly. I've tried, I've tried living in hope. I've tried living and geez, I hope this works out, and I hope somebody's kind to me, and I hope somebody bestows upon me the blessings that I long to experience, and all that stuff, all that wishy-washy mamby-pamby, that gobbledygook. But what I know is that what works for me is, this, is applying the principles of this teaching, that I have choice at each moment. And as I set myself down and get clear about what it is that is going to serve the highest and best good, when I talk to you about renegotiating, what I realized is that, and part of what happens for me, and this is a big, these are decisions that affect the community, but I realize I don't have the luxury of trying to have everybody like me because I'm going to have to go back and renegotiate with some folks I've made commitments to and say, you know what, I made that commitment, but now I'm, I need to renegotiate that because that isn't the highest, best fit for this particular community. It's not personal, but even when it is personal we have to make the best decisions possible we have to hold ourselves accountable and others accountable you know loving people does, doesn't mean not holding them accountable loving means holding ourselves and others accountable and what's appropriate so we you know for me it was always about giving and giving and giving to the point where it was so uncomfortable that you know it was take care of everybody else first and we talked about that a few weeks back how do you contain how do you keep filling yourself up so we live in exciting times Daniel Pink talks about it in this whole new, this whole new world. You know, that we're, we're seeking fulfillment. We're seeking that more transcendent experience of life. And we can do that wherever we are. We don't have to go live on the mountain anymore. Be, it's being asked of us. It's being requested of us. And it's a gift that we give one another. And so it's really about living in that and understanding what the, the satisfaction of life is. What is prosperity? What is abundance? What is health? What is, it's exciting to be alive. It's exciting to have this teaching is the king to, keys to the kingdom. And it's not, the only, it's not the only teaching that teaches that, but it's one of them. It's one pathway that I think helps all of us move forward. Dr. Holmes said he doesn't know anything about religion, doesn't know anything about psychology. He said we don't need to because we understand this principle. There's a law, and that law always says yes to everything that we impress upon it. And so when our propensity is to get into the worry and the fear and the judgment and the criticism of ourself or others, we're on the left side. And so spiritual practice helps us bring us back to the right side. And it's not that the left side ever goes away. Believe me, mine's working overtime. There was a lady that walked through here. She's pregnant, and I don't know where she went. She's a beautiful pregnant woman. That Wherever you are, raise your hand wave at me. Anyway, there she is. Anyway, well, God bless you. But in the reading I was doing this week, it talks about when women are, are um, pregnant. And it talks about that they know now, they've studied enough of it, that when the woman is exposed and is fearful throughout the pregnancy, when there's a lot of anxiety and fear, a lot of distress and discord in the, in the pregnancy, the baby tends to have larger, uh, the, the baby's bigger, weighs more. And also the parts of it that in the brain that require um, hyper-survival uh, are larger and more predominant in that child. It's interesting how nature just knows that there's there's fear i mean fear is just this free floating thing but as a as a and i share this with you because as i watched across, come across the parking lot i said i need to share that story today just if it's just for you fantastic but but it doesn't mean we're stuck in that but it's just interesting how our bodies respond how the whole physiology responds to that fear impulse so we're, when we're around people that are fearful it's just good for us to be mindful do we want to hang out with them do we want to make that? If, we're, if people are calling us and sharing and pouring out their stories over and over and over again, and it's all based on fear and lack and limitation, how many times do you want to listen to that? And are you being a good friend and helping them by letting them dump on you over and over and over again? Maybe not. Maybe the blessing is, you know what, to say to them, I know you have everything you need to get through this. I can't wait to see how this comes out. I'm supporting you with affirmative prayer. Affirmative what? Affirmative prayer. I know the highest and best for you. Let them borrow your faith. And stop them in their tracks and say, no more of this. I mean, just like pulling that healthy adult up. You're the healthy adult. Say, you know, I know this is true. I know these are facts in your life. But this, you're not stuck there. And we can do that without having to, you know, convert them. I mean, it's the only sane thing to do. I watch the people walk through here. I watch the serious students of this teaching and hear the stories over and over again. And, I, and you know what? I just sit there many times because I've tried to talk them out of it and then all I can do then is just sit there quietly and say, it ain't, so, "It ain't it's not true to myself. It's not true. I don't accept this. I don't say that out loud, but once I've heard the story a dozen times or so and I know that they're still in the process, they're still enjoying the story for whatever reason, it's not my job to pull anybody's story away from them. It's simply to know the truth. So when you walk in here and if you're not leaving here inspired and touched or moved in some meaningful way, then we aren't doing our job. Then we're not standing in the consciousness and the knowing and you're not borrowing our faith till your faith catches up. And it doesn't make anybody superior. It's just the knowing. It's choosing to live in life and be in life in relationship, in community in a way that I think is very interesting and very productive and very loving and very supportive. So, here we go. Left brain, right brain. Which one am I in? I think we're in both of them. I think we need both of them. But I think the awareness to know where we are at all times is, is, is really, really important. When I found this teaching years ago, I thought, man, this is great stuff, but I'm never going to be able to apply this 24-7 in my life. But I'm much more capable of applying it more often now than I ever have been. And that's part of the joy. That's part of the wonderful thing. I forget who I am. Sometimes I get drunk with fear and worry and concern and lack and limitation. But now I have the tools some, some that I own myself, sometimes I have to call a practitioner and say, Hey, know this for me. I'm too close to this. But I use them all. I'm really selfish about this. I use them all because I want to live in that joy. I want to live in that transcendence. I want to live in the bliss. And that doesn't mean struggle doesn't show up. It doesn't mean challenge doesn't show up. It gets more and more challenging as I move along. I just don't let it overwhelm me. Because I know that this too is showing up because we're ready to move in this direction. And I know that whatever's going on in your life right now, today, it's shown up for, to bless you and to move you forward and to inspire you and to resource you like never before. So it is. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, there she is. I thought maybe you went home.
4: the last service i said this and i'd like to say it again to really acknowledge the players up here when we get you get guest soloists and we come up and sing and the singers get all the focus but what is so brilliant is that when i come to rehearsal these guys have charts and they know the songs and i'm just not used to that <laughs> i know isn't that crazy but i'm not these guys are efficient and just so brilliant i just want you to really honor brown cash jordan and jonathan for me Yeah, thank you Huge support I'd like to sing a song by Patty Griffin called Up to the Mountain Well, I went up to the mountain Because
1: you asked me to Up over the clouds To where the sky was blue Well, I could see all around could see all around me, yeah,
4: everywhere. Sometimes
1: I feel like, well, I've never been nothing but tired.
4: Thank you. Uh,
5: that was gorgeous. All right, as our ushers come forward, as you know in your program, you'll see the intentional giving cards. This is just uh, something we introduced last week. For those of you that are in our program, uh, many of, of you have, have uh, said, "Yeah, I'd like to put something in the basket as it goes by," because uh, the people that are in this program have have given us um, have already conveyed their their contributions in another way. So we thank you, and if. And, over time, we're going to put them in the envo- in the uh, program, but over time, we'll leave them in a stack in the back, so if you'd like to grab one of these and put it in in celebration of you. There's a wonderful affirmation on here. Uh, our intentional giving program allows us, especially in the summer months, to continue to, to uh, function and, and budget and, and, and grow our programs and plan our, our programs for the coming year, And so thank you so much for your continued support with that. So I'd like to invite you to read the blessing on the back of it, where it says Celebration, Connection, and Community, and if you don't have it in hand, don't worry, I'll read it for you it says that when you truly serve others by giving you'll receive so much more than you have ever dreamed of you will be enriched in ways you cannot conceive of let us be open to that possibility that is my truth and i invite you to know that with me in that willingness we know that the blessings that are seeking us find us press down and overflowing and for that i give thanks invite you to say with me and so it is Asked our practitioners and, and ministerial team to join me on the platform. If you're looking for prayer support, any one of these uh, very clear examples of our teaching would be happy to assist you. Also, someone uh, reminded me that someone parked in the handicapped parking today, and uh, we, we do need to leave that space available for those people that have special needs. So if that doesn't apply and you're parked there, just a reminder, let you know. So with that said, once again, one life, one power, one infinite divine intelligence, that life is our life, is my life. And so what I know in this moment is I continue to be guided and inspired. I find the ways to live in the balance and the harmony that's seeking me, to be open and receptive to the inspiration, the information, and the opportunities that allow each and every one of us to live in a world that works for everyone, in balance and harmony and perspective that is healthy and powerful and wonderful. We stand for this. We stand in that faith and that knowing. And as we do that, it's enough. All it requires is our willingness Our willingness to come back and remind ourselves who we are and whose we are when we forget. And I know for myself, I do that more quickly and more expeditiously each and every day that goes by. So I give thanks for this knowing. I give thanks for this beautiful community that has blessed my life in so many ways I can't even express it and articulate it. But I give thanks for the continued blessings that pour themselves forth. For this I give thanks. I release these words and invite you to say with me one more time, and so it is. Let's sing.
4: Please stand.